Good morning, church. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. It's actually my third time here in about the last year and a half. Um, our family loves Jeremy and Sarah and likes to get over here as much as we can to spend time with them. And we're usually not in the United States that long. Um, so we're grateful to be with them and to be with you opening God's word with you this morning. Uh, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. I'm curious if you've ever heard a, a sermon on vocation or on work. If you've heard a sermon on vocation or work, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. We've got a couple people here. That's great. Um, I actually remember preaching this a text at a church a number of years ago. And afterwards, a man who was probably in his early 70s, who had been following the Lord faithfully since he was 20 or so, and had been involved in good Bible-preaching churches his whole life, came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I've... I've been listening to sermons for about 50 years, and I've never, ever heard a sermon until now on vocation or work. Um, so it's really a, a neglected topic oftentimes as followers of Christ. And I find as a missionary, one of the things that I do and have done both in India and Australia as I disciple people in their walk with Christ is to really focus on what I call vocational discipleship and show the importance of what it means to follow Christ and the vocation to which God has called each of them. And so it's a real passion of mine. I'm really thankful that Jeremy has uh, allowed me to preach on this text, especially on Labor Day, on uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24. And before I read that text and before I uh, open this text to you, I'd like to pray and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have made us as your image. And one of the ways we image you forth, according to Scripture, is to be workers, uh, to be those who are productive, who use our God-given abilities uh, those that you have entrusted to us to reflect you, uh, to create and produce, and to honor you in this world. We thank you that through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are restoring all that has been broken and lost when it comes to our approach to our work and our vocation. And we're so grateful that you're restoring that to us in the gospel, and we're so thankful that your word speaks so clearly to it. Lord, it's our desire that as we open this text of Scripture today, that your Holy Spirit would open it to us, that you might give us eyes to see all that you inspired the Apostle Paul to pen, and that we might understand how in Jesus Christ we can live as new people, especially in regards to the work to which you've called us. Grant, Father, that we would see with new significance the God-centeredness of our work and how in Christ uh, we can really find joy in the labors to which you've called us. And so we ask your blessing upon this time, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. Paul writes to the church there and says this, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Friends, I assure you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever, and what you've just heard is God's word. When Jeremy and I were in Westminster Seminary together, the job that I worked during school to pay for needs uh, was at Interstate Batteries, working in a warehouse. And so I would pack boxes and drive a forklift. And one of my duties was to receive the day's uh, shipments that would come in. And so I would go to the loading dock door on my um, forklift and we would have UPS, FedEx, other carriers come. And for about a year, we had a man named Glenn who was our, our FedEx driver. So every, every morning I would bleep, uh, meet Glenn out there and greet him. And Glenn was like clockwork. 
every, I could hear him coming around the corner because he had sports radio blasting out of his FedEx truck. And I could hear him even before I would see him. And as I would go to Glenn on Monday, Glenn was always very dour when I would greet him. I'd say, Glenn, how are you doing? And he'd come out of the back of his truck and say, it's Monday. You know, just, you could tell he was just trudging through the beginning of a work week. Oh man, I got to start all over again. About Wednesday, Glenn started to kind of get cheery. When I would greet him, there'd be a little bit more lift in his return greeting to me. But Fridays, Fridays were a big deal. When Glenn would come out of the back of that FedEx truck on Fridays, he'd say, Happy Friday! And he was so excited. Because for Glenn, his work was not something that he enjoyed doing that he felt called to do. It was drudgery. It was a means to an end. Glenn, and I don't believe he was a follower of Jesus Christ, but Glenn was certainly not working for the Lord Glenn was working for the weekend. He was just, work was a means to an end, maybe a necessary evil to, I'm sure, provide for his own needs and to do the things that he really enjoyed, which is probably watching and listening to sports, because uh, that's all he listened to on his radio. Now, that's understandable, perhaps, in someone like Glenn, who, as far as I know, did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the reality is, is that many of us, as followers of Jesus, we kind of have a similar approach to our work that Glenn has. Now, we might have higher motives with what we do with our work, and we think, I need it for my family, and it's great to be generous to give to my local church and to help the poor and to serve in missions. And we see work as a, a means to something else, and yet God in his word wants us to see work as something far more than just a means to other things, even good things like giving to our local church and the poor and missions and helping our families. God wants to see us to see that he has made us to reflect him and to serve him and others, one of the primary ways through our vocation to which he calls us, our vocation in the home or outside the home. And so I want us to look at work and I want us to ask this question. I want you to have a searching question. Am I working for the weekend or am I working for the Lord? Do I have a biblical vision of vocation in the work that God has called me to do? And I'm going to ask you that question as we get to the end of this sermon. But I want to explore three things from this text and also looking at this text a little bit in the broader perspective of Scripture. And I want us to explore three things that will help you to answer and approach this question, am I working for the Lord? We're going to look at the goodness of work, first of all. Secondly, we'll look at the gospel and work. How does the gospel help us overcome the challenges of uh, living in the goodness of the work to which God has called us? And then thirdly, we'll focus in on the God-centeredness of work. What in Jesus Christ can we now do by his grace to approach our work? So let's think about the goodness of work. Notice who Paul is addressing in Colossians 3, verse 22. He says, bond servants, or your translation may say slaves or servants. Uh, much of the Roman Empire, perhaps more, were bond servants or servants than were not servants. I want you to connect to this because this is not talking about race-based chattel slavery that we have today. These are people who are not just what we might think of as blue-collar, but even white-collar professions. People like doctors and lawyers were sometimes bond servants. Sometimes people had lifelong bond service. Sometimes it was for a limited time to pay off a debt. And so when we see him addressing bond servants, I think it's something that we can very much connect to as we think about our vocation and our work. There's a very much a similarity to what Paul would say to us if the Apostle Paul was here today speaking to you instead of me. And he really is speaking to you today. But I want you to hear that he's speaking to you. And notice how Paul speaks of his work, of our work. Especially when you look at verse 23. Notice the importance of work when he says that whatever you do, work heartily. He doesn't have a, 
a caste system, if you will, of work. This work's important, this work is not. You can imagine that though some bond servants might have white-collar type professions, there are many more who did not, who did professions and works that they really didn't enjoy. And yet Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily. Notice also that he directs them in verse 23 that you work for the Lord. Whatever vocation you're in, whatever task you have before you, you can do it before the Lord. He even says in verse 24, in reference to our vocation, you are serving the Lord Christ. How can Paul say that? How can Paul look and say, whatever you do, whatever productive task you're called to do, whether forced to do it or not, do it heartily and do it for the Lord. That's because Paul knew his scriptures and he knew that work is intrinsically good because it was created by God before the fall into sin. I think as Christians, sometimes we assume that the entry of work was after the fall, that it was in Genesis 3 or Genesis 4, but you might be surprised to be reminded that the call to work was in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin ever entered into the world. If you turn back to the very beginning of your Bible, just a few verses, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Genesis 1 is the big picture of creation. And look how he describes the calling of mankind and how we bear God's image and live out being image bearers. He says in Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was a call to work. God entrusted us with dominion, with subduing the earth, with developing the potentials of what he created as we glorified him, as we enjoyed him in our labors. And then when you get to Genesis 2, there's kind of a micro view of of the creation of man. And we're just going to read a small portion of what our sister read for us a few minutes ago. But if you read Genesis 2, 15 to 18, again, this is before sin ever enters in the world, before God's curse is ever on man. Verse 15 of Genesis 2 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. Work is part of God's original blessing on his image bearers. Verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. We see the creation of woman even designed in part for mankind to be able to fulfill his task of having dominion, of working. And the man and woman as a unit filling the earth, so doing it together. No wonder work is such a big part of our identity, even if we don't realize it. Even sometimes as Christians, if we downplay it, or if our culture downplays it. Think about men especially. If you're a man, or if you've heard men meet who do not know each other, and after they say their names, oh, my name's Bob, my name's Billy, What's one of the first questions that a man will typically ask another man when they're getting to know someone? What do you do? I mean, that's probably the number one question that comes after a name. And there, there's something we just want to know because there's a, there's a significant part of our identity. And though it's certainly not to be all of our identity, Scripture does say it plays an important part of our identity in men and women. Work is meant to be a delight to us. 
We're supposed to look forward to Monday, if I may use those terms, and not just look forward to the weekend. We're meant to approach our work and with joy and vigor and see it as a blessing of God to be able to work inside the home or outside the home. We're to give ourselves, if you turn back to Colossians 3, 23, heartily to whatever task is set before us. You see, we mirror God, we image forth God because God is the ultimate worker and the original worker. God took delight in his work and he calls us to join in in his labor. He gives us the privilege of laboring with us. He created a perfect world, but he created a a perfect world intentionally unfinished with lots of elements and materials. He gave us the equipment as his image bearers and he says, I want you to have the joy of entering into my labor and continuing to develop what I've given you. What a privilege he's called us to in Genesis and that Paul reflects on in Colossians 3. My wife is a wonderful cook and my kids, as they get older, the, my oldest three kids can now prepare a meal and often do prepare the entire meal by themselves. But when they were younger, they couldn't do a whole lot just yet, but they wanted to join in with their mother in the kitchen as she baked and made wonderful food. And she would sometimes make homemade cookies or a cake, and the kids wanted to help. And so she would get everything ready, and she would make the cake and homemade the icing because we were in India, and you couldn't buy store-bought icing, and so it was homemade icing. And then, after things were mostly done, she'd let the kids come in, and they'd get, she'd make some homemade icing bags, and they'd get to ice the cookies or ice the cake. And they had so much joy. They had their little aprons on and some flour on them and other things. And they had joy entering into the labors of their mother and getting the privilege of participating in that. What a picture of the joy that we are supposed to have in Jesus Christ as we join in the labors of our God who created us. And who's called us to work and allows us to see our work as good and significant. And think about what good news this is. Because if work is not significant, if work is not good, think about how many hours of your life would be drudgery. Just waiting to get to the good stuff. Working for the weekend like Glenn, the FedEx driver. I mean, think about how many hours you put into your job. If you work outside the home, you may put in 40, 50, 60, 70 If you work inside the home as perhaps a stay-at-home mom, you have way longer hours than that. We spend a lot of our life working. And God wants us to see the significance of it, the goodness of it, the joy that we're called to have in it. Michael Horton says this. He's a theologian. He says, if we jettison God from our worldview... And Christians can do that too, you know, he says in parentheses. Or push him into the spiritual arena... While our 9 to 5 is basically secular, to that extent, the majority of our time will be spent in what we feel like is meaningless activity. It is theology that gives meaning to every activity of human existence, end of quotes. Friends, what we are being exposed to today is a theology of vocation, that we're designed for it, that we're called to it, that is good. But I know what's going on in your mind, perhaps right now, but Richie, why is it so hard? Why did I feel? Why is it so natural to gravitate to the goodness? Why do I sometimes just hit the snooze alarm a couple more times on Monday morning? Why do I find myself working for the weekend like Glenn? I can relate to Glenn. Well, it's because we do need to understand that we don't live in the original world that was designed. The toilsome circumstances of our work, the difficulties of our work are because we live in a broken world. A world under God's curse because of our rebellion against him. And again, turn back to Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, as God is pouring out his judgments on the serpent, on the woman, on the man, thankfully telling us the gospel in Genesis 3.15, what we call the proto-evangelium, the first news of the gospel, the promise that one born of the woman would come, and really the rest of scripture fulfilling Genesis 3.15. But notice the curse on the man, especially. He's already spoken to the serpent, he's spoken to the woman. And in Genesis 3.17 to 19, I want you, as I read this, focus on where God's curse takes place. What arena of life of the man. Verse 17, and to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, in contradistinction to his voice, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Notice this, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Did you notice the emphasis of where the focus of God's curse takes place? It's on mankind's work. On his labors. Now it will be difficult. Now it will be hard. That's why we often have bad attitudes towards work. That's why we often have bad bosses. I've read a statistics that 60, or 70%, 60 to 70% of people look to a new job because of difficult managers, people over them. Uh, we have difficult working relationships. Sometimes our work isn't productive as we'd like. But it's not the original design. And it's important for us to keep that in mind. That's not how God intended it. God intended work to be a joy, to be good, to be very productive. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, is there any hope, Richie? <laughs> is that just this paradise that we've lost and we can never get back there? Well, friends, I have good news for you today. Jesus Christ, for his blood-bought people, is doing something about our work and how we engage in our work. And the good news is that Jesus is redeeming our work. So I want to speak to you, secondly, about the gospel and work. How does knowing Christ as Savior and Lord change the way we think about our vocation and our work? whether inside the home or outside the home. We'll turn back to Colossians 3, and let me put the context of Colossians 3.22 before you. Just skip to the beginning of chapter 3 of Colossians. This is the gospel foundation that Paul laid before he talked about our work. He says this of those who have joined themselves to Jesus Christ by faith, to those who despair of their own righteousness and trust in Christ alone as Savior. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ... Now, the only conditionality is whether you know Christ. Everyone who knows Christ has been raised with Christ. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul is talking about that glorious doctrine of our union with Christ. That when we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and Lord, the scripture says we were joined to him. We became one with him like a husband and wife become one when they are joined in marriage and enjoy the act of marriage. We indwell Christ. He indwells us. That's the reason that we are justified by faith alone because we are so joined to Christ that God the Father looks at us when we trust in Christ and he sees us hidden and one with Christ and because Christ is the justified one, we are justified or declared righteous in God's sight. And Paul says, because this is true of you, Christian, it changes everything. 
It changes everything. It's not just that you're now reconciled to God and freely forgiven and accepted as righteous. It changes your life because now you are one with Christ and Christ's life is in you. And so in verses 5 to 11, he talks about the new character that is true of those who are in Christ. In 12 through 17, he talks about new relationships and how we relate to one another and forgive one another and bear with one another because we are in Christ. And then in 18 to 21, he gets into the family sphere and says, it affects how wives and husbands relate. It affects how children and parents relate to one another. The gospel impacts everything. And then he gets to our work and to servants and masters, to employers and employees, if we will, in our context. And he says the gospel impacts everything. And where it begins to impact us first is to give us a renewed perspective on our work, to see work as good, to see it as something we can give ourselves to, to see that as we depend on Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to approach work in a different way. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, I, I wanted to connect you to verse 22 when he said bond servants. And I wanted you to, to see the similarity between you and the bond servants. And now I want to, for helpfulness, I think, draw a little bit of a disconnect for you. Think about the ways your life and your vocation is different than a first century bond servant. Think about the greater freedom you have to pursue a vocation. The working climate in America, much different than a first century bond servant. Think of the advantages you have to pursue a career that you want to pursue, most likely, for many of us in here. Think about how much better you have it. And if God the Holy Spirit can enable bond servants in first century to find joy in their work, to do their work heartily for the Lord, even when they have terrible masters, how much more can God the Holy Spirit help us today? in 2021 in Wichita Falls, find joy in our labors inside the home or outside the home and begin to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, see the goodness of our work, see the significance of our work and begin to have a God-centered view of work. Notice how, again, I just want to draw your attention to how he views our work as service to the Lord. Who are you working for? Ultimately, in verse 23, you're working for the Lord. Who are you serving in verse 24? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're tempted sometimes if we asked, how do you serve the Lord? I think for most of us, the first thing would not be our vocation. We would say, oh, I volunteer in nursery at church. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an officer. I'm a deacon or an elder. Or I teach Sunday school. Um, I'm very evangelistic. I, maybe I work with Young Life. I'm a missionary. I find different ways. We think about all these things as the, the ways in which we serve God. And God is saying, look, this is one of the primary ways I've called you to serve me. It's in your vocation. For if you're a stay-at-home mom or you work outside the home, these are the ways, one of the primary ways that you both serve me and actually serve humanity. And in many sense, we are the hands and feet of God through our vocation. We often talk of being the hands and feet of Jesus when it comes to sharing the gospel, uh, doing missions and evangelism, and that's true, but we're also the hands and feet when we flip fries at McDonald's or when we teach or when we're changing diapers at home. Whatever our vocation, we are the hands and feet of our God in his place, serving him, no matter how glorious in the world's eyes or inglorious. Because Paul says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Two implications of this I want to bring out in thinking about how the gospel enables us to live God-centered lives in our vocation. And the first is this. This may be a little controversial at first, but hear me out. Our work doesn't need an evangelistic purpose in order to be meaningful. What do I mean by that? We don't have to justify what we do in our vocation by how many people I can 
share Jesus with or the impact we have. I sat down not too long ago when I was still in Sydney, Australia with a young Korean Aussie who's a banker. Uh, He's finished university and thinking about youth ministry, he serves in the youth ministry of his church. He's taking a class or two at the local seminary. And as I was talking to him about his work as a banker, the way he talked about his banking was, you know, I just I try to share Jesus with as many people as I can. I try to, to really tell people and lead a conversation there. And for him, the way he justified being a banker was in the evangelistic impact. Instead of seeing the significance of what he did as a banker in and of itself. Think about how significant this is for those of us who have been impacted by COVID, where maybe we had lots of shoulder rubbing with other people, and maybe we're having to do stay-at-home work completely or part-time, and does that mean your work is less meaningful because you're working from home as opposed to working in the office where you interact with people more? Well, no, because first and foremost, our work is about God. It's about how we reflect God. It's about how we serve God. In fact, there are times which we shouldn't evangelize at work if it keeps us from our work. There are times when we break the Eighth Commandment not to steal if it requires us to not do our job so that we can share the good news with someone. We can actually hinder our witness to the world by robbing our employers of time if we feel like we have to witness instead of work. Or think about the arts. I can remember being a new Christian at age 19 and I was really much into music and I remember saying and thinking well if someone was a Christian and they have musical gifts if they're not singing explicitly Christian music man they're really not stewarding their gift the best if we are gifted in the arts if our vocation is in the arts if we're into cinema or acting or music or any kind of visual arts do we have to make it explicitly Christian to honor the Lord do we have to sing songs that have Jesus in it a certain amount of times do we have to only paint things that have the cross or some sort of Christian element well no We can glorify God in any form of artistry as long as it's not immoral, break God's law. We can reflect the original artist, the one who is creative, the one who demonstrated creativity, the one who's given us gifts and creativity and beauty. Again, I'll quote Michael Horton, the theologian, as he says this, painting, singing, playing an instrument, composing, writing, directing, acting, sculpting. These activities are callings which require no evangelical justification. All God requires of a Christian is the very best, most creative, and profound work he or she can produce. The individual Christian is actually in a better place to witness of his or her faith when that's not the person's ulterior motive for work. This has to be said not because evangelism is unimportant, but because it is often assumed by Christians today that work is unimportant, as if its tedious meaninglessness is somehow justified by the opportunity to witness. End of quotes. Friends, it's really the doctrine of justification by faith alone that frees us up to not feel like we have to justify ourselves by our evangelizing at work. Think about it. Before the Protestant Reformation in the early 16th century, if you really were serious about God, if you really wanted to assure and have a better chance of going to heaven, you became a monk or a nun. Why? Because you had to, to really labor and try to earn your justification before God. And when the Protestant Reformation came and the Protestant reformers like Martin Luther and Calvin were saying, no, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Then that freed people up because they no longer had to justify themselves before God by their vocation. And they could serve God in the vocation in which they, he called them to. So on one hand, we don't have to have an evangelistic purpose for our work to be meaningful. Some of your jobs, maybe you never see or interact with any other human being. 
it doesn't make your work less important. You can still do it with all your heart to the Lord. Now, on the other hand, let's balance this. Diligent, excellent work actually can be one of the greatest helps to our witness because we do want people who don't know Christ to hear the gospel. It should be a heartbeat of every Christian to want all of their neighbors and co-workers and fellow students who don't know Christ to know Christ because there is no salvation apart of hearing and believing in Jesus Christ. Look at Titus chapter 2, another group of bondservants who the Apostle Paul was addressing. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Addressing the bondservants. My fingers having a hard time getting there this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Paul says this. Bondservants, so same group he's addressed in Colossae. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now here is a different focus on why we work hard and are good workers We want to adorn the gospel. We want to make the good news of Jesus Christ as beautiful and as attractive as possible to those who do not know him. And so in our work, we certainly do want to be a witness. But one of the best witnesses is actually to be the kind of worker that if we were employers, we would want to hire. Those who work hard, who have integrity, those who are kind and encouraging and have positive attitude and are gracious and helpful and respectful. When we do that, we adorn the gospel so that when we do have an appropriate opportunity to open our mouth and share about Jesus that we serve, we can explain why we work the way we do and who Jesus is, and it makes it believable and attractive. The reality is Christians should have reputation as the most skillful, hard workers that everyone should want to hire, and sadly, that's not often the case. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. That same workplace I was telling you about where I was driving a forklift, there was a uh, a man who became my supervisor. And when I first went there, the, the company was privately owned by a guy who was on the board of Dallas Seminary. And so he hired all seminary students. So all eight or nine of my immediate coworkers were fellow seminary students. So not just Christians, men who were training for ministry. And this man who was not a Christian became our boss, and he was often frustrated by the lack of effort he saw, by the distractedness, by the theological conversations and talking about our seminary classes more than doing our work. One day he came up to me, and this was a massive man. He's like, he's this big African-American man, 6'5", about 350, and put his big paws right by me like this. And I looked up. I, we called him Big John. And I said, hey, Big John, what's up? He said, Richie, I have a question for you. And I said, well, sure. He said, why do you work hard? And I said, well, and I literally took him to Colossians 3. I didn't open my Bible, but I quoted it. And I said, as a Christian, I believe that I'm supposed to do my work for the Lord. And I was excited because I was thinking, hey, you know, he's, he's really w- wondering here. My work has made an impact but then what he said next broke my heart. He said, well, how come all these, your fellow Christians, how come they don't work so hard? And again, I'm not boasting of myself. I'm not trying to compare myself. I, I, I could have worked harder too. But the point was he could look at me and just think, oh, he's an exception. It's not because he's a Christian that he works so hard. He works in spite of being a Christian because the majority of his coworkers who profess Christ or even training for ministry don't work that hard. And that became a stumbling block. And I worked for this man for many more years. And by the time I left, I was the only Christian still there. He systematically did not hire Christians and especially seminary students. It was very sad, a terrible witness. He could just treat me as an exception. David Hagopian, who's a lawyer and a Christian, said this. Sadly, those who slosh through the week often fail to live up to the standard of excellence 
that is to adorn their Christian profession. While they set out to advance the gospel, they end up undermining it because they neglect to perform the tasks set before them to the glory of God. And yet, friends, this does not have to be the case because we have every resource in Jesus Christ, in his presence in our lives, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the help of our Christian community, to begin to work heartily for the Lord, to begin to serve him in our vocations with excellence and joy. And so that leads us, thirdly, to consider more about this and the God-centeredness of our work. I, wanna, I want us to see the new direction that we can have in Christ as we approach our vocation, as we look at the God-centeredness of work. And again, I just want to draw your attention because I want you to walk out of here, and you'll forget my sermon soon probably, but I don't want you to forget the words of Colossians 3, 22 and 24. I want them to be emblazoned on your heart. As Paul reminds us, for those of us who are in Christ, who are we working for? He says in verse 22, as he's called us to obey our bondservants or our earthly masters, he says, fearing the Lord at the end of verse 27. In other words, we work for them, but we ultimately look beyond our masters and we do it out of reverence and awe for God, our creator and redeemer. We're working for him. Verse 23, whatever you do, do it as for the Lord and not for men. Verse 24, the end, you are serving the Lord Christ in reference to our vocation and work. Friends, it's not just in some professions that honor God. It's in every profession that is not immoral in and of itself that comports with the law of God and Scripture. Every profession, everything we do, we can serve our Lord. Martin Luther said once he rediscovered the gospel that the milkmaid who was milking the cow as she offered her work up to God through Jesus Christ was just as honoring to the priest who was doing the sacraments and ministering the Lord's table. This is our priesthood of all believers that in Christ we all through Christ can offer him everything we do, especially our vocations. And friends, this is true even if it's not your ideal current situation. Even if you're a student and you're working a part-time job at a fast food restaurant, or if you're working towards a career and you're having to do something just to provide for your family and you're really looking forward to doing this, it's more along your passions. Even then, we come back and say, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Because it's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard if you're not in that vocation you're dreaming of or doing or wanting to do. When I worked in this warehouse for 10 years, I had to quote Colossians 3.22 to myself all the time. Because I knew God was calling me to be a missionary and a pastor, and I thought, but it's not yet. I don't, I'm not called to be a forklift driver forever, but I am now. And I need God's help now because I saw it's not as easy or natural for me to give myself to it wholeheartedly. And I would often preach and pray Colossians 3, 22 and 22 for myself to fight for faith. Christian thinker Oz Guinness, he has a great book on vocation called The Call. He says this, you have to listen carefully. He says, it's not that most Christians are not where they ought to be. You know, your perfect vocation that fits with your expertise, training, passions. It's not that most Christians are not where they ought to be. It is that most Christians are not, where they, not what they ought to be where they are. I'll say that again. It's not that most Christians are not where they ought to be. It is that most Christians are not what they ought to be where they are. Because wherever you are, according to Colossians 3... In the power of Jesus Christ, we are to work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, wherever you are. God will often lead you to your vocation by the interests, the abilities, the opportunities he gives you. But even when you're not there yet, wherever you are, work heartily as for the Lord. Keep God the center of your vision. 
The story is told of a medieval architect who heard of a great cathedral being built in a city many hours from where he was working and laboring, and he wanted to go check it out and see what he could learn for his vocation as an architect. And so he took a trip, and the day's trip took a little bit longer than he expected, and so he got there towards the end of the work day, and he planned to stay overnight, and he thought, I'll just go to the work side and see if I can talk to anybody who's working there and kind of find out what they're doing. And so he only saw a handful of people just, you know, getting their tools, finishing up, and he went to, to one fellow and said, hey, what are you doing here? What's your job here on this cathedral? And he said, well, I'm a craftsman, and uh, I'm carving this ornate pair of doors, and I'm covering it with figures representing biblical stories. And the architect thought, hey, that's, that's pretty great. He goes to another guy who's obviously a stonemason, and he asks him, what are you doing? And he said, I'm putting up walls that I hope will last a thousand years. And the architect said, that's great. He saw one old woman stooped over sweeping. She was the only one left, and he thought, I know what she's doing, but I'm asking everybody anyway. And So he went to this old woman who was sweeping away, and he says, ma'am, may I ask you what you're doing on this cathedral? She said, I'm helping build a cathedral to Almighty God. Though her task was less glorious than the others, than the craftsman and the stonemason, she had the more biblical vision, the God-centered vision, that she was working for the Lord, even in a menial task like cleaning up after others. She was building a cathedral to Almighty God. Christian, how do you think about your work? Are you offering your work inside the home, outside the home, up to God as worship? Are you working at it heartily as to the Lord? Are you waking up eager on Monday morning because of the new opportunities to serve God and others through your vocation? If not, then the scripture calls us to repent. The scripture calls you to lean into the resources that are yours through your union with Jesus Christ and to repent and ask that he would give you a new attitude, maybe a new ethic, a new focus, that you would see God by the eyes of faith and that you would offer your vocation to him because his grace is present and he is eager to help you glorify him and enjoy him through your labors. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're a kid who's grown up in a Christian home or you're here and you're just exploring what this Christian faith is all about, what a wonderful reason, an added reason to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Christians don't just believe in Jesus because we hope that we won't go to hell when we die, that we'll spend eternity with God. No, the Christian life starts now, and we do believe that. We do believe we need Jesus so that we don't go to hell. But we believe that it... Believing in Jesus reconciles us to God now so that we actually begin to experience what it means to be a human being in all the fullness. You see, the gospel in Jesus Christ impacts every single area of our life, and especially one of the most important areas in our life, like our work, like our vocation. And so, friends, if you're not a Christian, what further reason to continue to explore Jesus Christ in the gospel? Because it will change everything for you. And allow you to live what you were made to do, which was to serve God in all areas of life. I'll close by telling you about one of my favorite movies, uh, Chariots of Fire, 1989 Academy Award winner. Um, I typically, I'm, I'm, I should say this here, but I typically don't watch Christian movies. I think they're usually not well made. Uh, I, if I want entertainment, I'll usually go to somebody else who's made it. But Chariots of Fire is an Academy Award winner. It's a good movie. It tells the story of Scottish Olympian uh, sprinter Eric Liddell. Um, he went to the Olympics for England in the 1924. I won't tell you what happened there because I don't want to ruin it if you hadn't seen the movie or know the story. But part of the, the, the tension of the movie is that Liddell's a strong Christian. He feels called to be a missionary to China. And yet he's also incredibly fast. They called him the Flying Scotsman. And the story is comparing him to a, a, another man who's not a Christian and both competing in the same race. 
And there's this beautiful moment in the movie where Eric's sister, Jenny, is getting on to him about continuing to do competitive running. Like, why are you bothering training for the Olympics? Why are you doing this? God has called you to be a missionary. You're wasting your life doing this. And his response to her is golden in the movie. He says this. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole film. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Friends, do you feel God's pleasure when you serve in your vocation as a stay-at-home mom, as a worker out in the workforce? You can. In Jesus Christ, you can. In Jesus Christ, you should. In Jesus Christ, we can because he is redeeming work for us. And so I leave off asking you, friends, because the gospel is so glorious, because of the word of God says what it says, because you have so many resources in Jesus Christ, will you now work for the weekend or will you work for your Lord? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you confessing that, Lord, none of us work for you the way that we are called to, no matter our vocation, even if we're doing our dream job. In our sinfulness, Lord, often we work for other reasons. Often we work for ourselves, for other people, and we fail to keep a God-centered view of our work. And so we repent as we look at this text. And Lord, I confess myself to be the chief of sinners in this. Father, even in my calling, which I love and I'm so thankful for, Lord, so often I fail to live up to this ideal. And yet I'm so thankful for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that I am justified before you by Jesus Christ and not by my vocation. And I'm thankful that that's true of every believer in Jesus Christ in this room. And so our plea with you today is that you would help us in the power of the Spirit of Christ to more and more repent towards this calling where in everything we do, we would work heartily for you rather than for men. That we would see the God-centered vision that this text calls us to and in the power of your Spirit, we would give ourselves to it. Father, that we might first of all bring you glory. That like Eric Liddell, that we might feel your pleasure as we engage in our vocation with all of our heart. Father, that we might adorn the gospel of our Lord Jesus to the watching world. That more of them might want to know you and find life in Christ and begin to glorify you in their vocation and in all that they do. Lord, make Wichita Falls Baptist Church a, a group of people a group of members of Christ's church who really give themselves to you in their vocations. Lord, derive great glory from this congregation and use them in Wichita Falls and beyond as they delight in Jesus Christ and all that they do. Lord, I entrust them to you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.